Hey, today's episode of The Rewatchables on the Rigor Podcast Network is brought to you by Sling TV. Millions of people have cut the cord, started slinging. Because slinging is about freedom, no long-term contract, customize your channel lineup, even charge it from one month to the next. Catch the latest shows, live sports, and hit movies, including today's Rewatchable, Reality Bites, starting at just 25 bucks a month. Open up your relationship with TV. Start slinging. Go to sling.com slash rewatchable. Special offer just for our listeners. 14 days free. Enter the promo code RINGER. Sling.com slash rewatchables. Promo code RINGER. Offer available to new customers only. Availability may vary by location. Other restrictions apply. Hey, before we get to the show, in order to support our show, we'll need the help of some great advertisers. And in order to find great advertisers, we need to learn a bit more about you, the person who's listening to this podcast for free. Free content. Come on, do this for us. Go to podsurvey.com slash the dash rewatchables and take a quick anonymous survey that will help us get to know you a little better. That way we can show advertisers just how great you are, our listeners. Once you've completed the survey, you can choose to enter for a chance to win a $100 Amazon gift card. Terms and conditions apply. Once again, that is podsurvey.com slash the dash rewatchables. T-H-E dash rewatchables. Thank you for your help. Guys, this is all I need. Chris, Chuck, and five bucks. <laughs> Reality Bites coming up next. <laughs> Hello, you've reached the winter of our discontent. I'm uh, making this documentary about my friends. It's really about people who are trying to find their own identity without having any real role models or heroes or anything. It seems like your friends would be perfect for that. Oh man, Chris Ryan is here. The one, the only Chuck Klosterman is here. We're going to talk some Gen X. We're going to talk some reality bites. We're going to talk about the Mount Rushmore of Gen X indie movies. Whether Gen X movies and slacker movies can be the same thing or are they... Brothers oh, wow. or cousins? I feel like you have an opinion about this. I, think I don't know. I, I mean, thank God Chuck's. We pulled Chuck ideas. out of the mountains in Portland <laughs> to come down. And so here's my Mount Rushmore. And tell me if you agree. Because I feel like Generation X and Slacker are a little different. Slacker was 1990. I'm not a positive that's a Gen X movie. I feel like that's an alternate thing. When I think of Gen X, Mm-hmm. I think of all these different things. I think about the music. I think of like 90210, Melrose Place. I think about the, the Copeland book, all these different things. For movies, I would go singles, reality bites before sunrise and kicking and screaming. Singles, 92, reality bites, 94, before sunrise, January, 95, kicking and screaming, October, 95. I think those four movies, whether you like them or not. Yeah. Kind of like if you were going to explain Generation X in four movies, I would pick those four. Which one would you knock well, out? Singles? Well, well, the thing is, there's a anthology book called The Gen X Reader, and some of the Slacker script is in that book. So it's kind of hard not to put Slacker in this category. Do you think Generation X started in 1990, though? That feels early to me. Well, the popular definition of Generation X or the actual like when the people from Generation X started making movies. 
when were, when was that generation aware they were a generation? I guess would be the question for me. And for me, I wasn't really fully aware I was part of a generation until 92. Well, yeah, I guess there was the idea of naming the generation. That was really like 92, 93, 94. That's when that was yes. the height of the talking, of, you know, discussing it. Singles is always the most interesting part of this to me because Chuck's anti singles. I really, well, I really associate it with reality bites, but singles is not really a youth movie. It has youth music. It's guys, in it. it's there people in their thirties. A yeah. guy's a city planner. Yeah, <laughs> you know, it's like it's like it's and, an, and it felt she, like, and there's a weather a weather person, right? Well, the one who's trying to do the online dating with yeah. the video cassette. I mean, I guess not online then, but yeah. Um, well, I, so I mean, it is in a way like those movies are connected because they, they came up at a similar time and and the same kind of people were going. But, you know, like, okay, so when Reality Bites came out, I saw it in the spring of 94. Like, I was a senior in college. And the characters were the age, essentially, I was. It seemed like a much more aggressive attempt to be generational. Whereas singles, had they used a different soundtrack, I don't know if we would even be connecting them to this. Singles, the music, I think, is the biggest thing that made it feel like it was part of that generation. Yeah. Especially of. You have Pearl Jam playing another band in the movie. Right. And, and when singles came out, like it was it was it was sort of an affront to that sensibility because people were like, Campbell Scott, Matt Dillon, and Bridget Fonda are not like right. Seattle residents. Like it didn't feel like authentic. Whereas well, he, like in reality bites, Winona Ryder and Ethan Hawke seem like why well, I, I don't know if we're supposed to interpret that they went to Texas and then moved to Houston or something like that, but they seem like college kids at that time period. Well, remember when when this movie's coming out and we all loved Winona Ryder and she had been just a lot of weird movie choices. She Heather's is I think nineteen eighty eight, and then from that point she falls out of Godfather three, mm-hmm. leading to the Sofia Coppola mm-hmm. disaster. But she was supposed to be in that movie, and then is in like Dracula and Age of Innocence, but never had been in a movie like this. So it was like, oh, that'll be cool. Ben Stiller, love that guy on the Ben Stiller show. He was like a little, you know, it wasn't like a groundswell for Ben Stiller, but respected. And then Ethan Hawke, and it was like, Ethan Hawke? The dead poets guy? The mm-hmm. guy standing on the chair at the end, and what does he say at the end of Dead Poets? Oh, Captain oh, by Captain. Captain. By Captain. Yeah, so what I that say every guy, day when I come to work to you. He's our counterculture hero, Ethan Hawke? Yeah, but then he and does- meanwhile, he's awesome. Right, and he does Before Sunrise the next year, and that pretty much cements what most people think of Ethan yes. Hawke for the next, like, yeah. 20 years. He becomes the uh, Gen X icon. Yeah. But yeah. In, the, in, in, the, in, like, kind of the collective memory, the f- idea that he was, like, you know, in- did Poet Society or in uh, uh, the one about the soccer team crashing in the Andes? Alive. Alive, yeah. you know? It's like, oh, it's really weird that, you know, this guy had this other career before he became this person who for a very long time, it seemed like he was only going to be seen in that way. Yeah. That has changed now. He was a child actor. He was in yeah. uh, The Explorers. He White was, Fang. Yeah, yeah, right. White Fang was what he always talks about. Mm-hmm. You know, it was the dog movie. Yeah. I do remember. So I had just graduated from college when singles came out. And- even though it had some flaws, I still really liked that movie, but I think it was just, it hit me the time it came out. The The thing that struck me was they weren't making a lot of movies for people like me. And I think that's why Singles is remembered so fondly with people like in and out of college. Because we're about to hit this era where they start making movies for people like me. But in 89, 90, 91, it wasn't really there. And even like Chris and I liked the movie Sleep With Me, the Tarantino's yeah. The Top Gun scene. And that's a really flawed movie. But that... 
there were a lot of movies like that that started to come out. Started Bodies Rest in Motion. Yeah, yeah, all that, that stuff. That was seen as real connected to that yeah. movie at the time. And, you know, well, there's, you know, there's. there's and then tens, leading the clerks and yep. all, mall rats, all that stuff. There tends to be two kinds of like these generational movies. One is where it's about a generation from the past, like Dazed and Confused or like American Graffiti, where everything about it is supposed to like is 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 selected almost like the way these she's going to wear these pants and they're going to have these posters and all these things that's to sort of represent this and, and there's some there's di- the, and some distance for the era mm-hmm. and then there are the movies where they actually try to do it in real time like Saturday Night Fever is like this and Reality Bites is like the clearest example and some things they got extremely right about that like um oh I I I remember being very surprised when I watched it in the theater where like a, like a, you know, seeing Jean Garofalo's room and she has these portraits of like ABBA and like, a, you know, like Boston and all of these things. Saturday that, Night Fever. That was, uh, you know, that, that it, it seemed out of, of step, but I was like, I know people like this. There's this kind of person now who's adopting that period as sort of their ironic, but also sincere Listening appreciation to disco of, music that, that you know, and i was like boy they really got that that correct in this thing you know so you um, know what's also interesting about that is and this is one of the things i wanted to talk about in this opening spiel is a little bit of the economic stuff that was involved back then both in yeah. terms of like how much money the people had the characters would have had and how much the you know disposable income one of the reasons why i feel like i got into classic rock a little bit later than the age of the people who were in this movie is because you could buy cheap vinyl and that totally makes sense. I mean, that was the same thing with the thrift store stuff that seemed to be like this fashion statement. Like, oh, you have like an ironic, like, you know, St. Mary's women's softball team t-shirt on. But like those t-shirts were a dollar at, at, at Garment District in Boston. Right. You know, and people would go and they would be, you know, you'd think you were cool for it. But so much of that stuff was an extension. And it's, this is such a prevalent theme in the movie is like it always, I forgot how much of this movie is about paying bills. And but, how much of this movie is about how much money you've got in your pocket at any given point. And and no irony at all. And that's like, you talk about Ginny Graffalo's room in this movie. I, I noticed the same thing. And something shifted from 94 to like late 90s where her room five years later, all of those posters are picked kind of ironically. But in 94, she's like, I really love these things. And I don't, I'm not ready to give them up yeah, yet. Although the assumption is still that she is an ironist. That like she is in this circle of friends um, she has sort of the kind of the most cynical perspective. I mean, even more so than Ethan Hawke, who we are supposed to see as someone posing as a cynic who actually is a romantic. And that that yeah. that this is like, and that's a that's a type of person that has existed then. I think that type of person probably exists forever. Where she is supposed to be uh, the kind of person where when you walk into her room and you see the image of Abba or whatever, you go like, "Ha ha, Abba!" And she would be like, "What do you mean? What are you laughing about?" Yeah, right? yeah. And then she would actually be laughing at you for having laughed at that, even though she's still laughing at the thing. One, um, the other thing. So the the finances part really jumped out. Right. And I'm with you. And I'm sure finances are just as big of a part now. But for some reason, I think we had less to talk about. Well, the there's 90s. a big difference now, which is that. And I think that that's it's the thing that's most jarring to watch this movie now as even opposed to like 15, 10, 12 years ago is the selling out idea. That is the biggest thing I thought. Which is, had. I can't speak fully for somebody of like Craig's generation and about how much that Sorry, kind Craig. of stuff like may govern their day-to-day life. But that's sort of like the central tension of that time period is this idea that you have 
this pure culture or this pure way of living that you can go about your life with dignity and integrity and make these decisions that aren't corrupted by capitalism. And then slowly as you get older and older, you have to make these concessions to that. One thing I I really remember is this was in like one of the very first, like the very, like the inception of Grantland. We were at a bar with some of the other employees and one employee we were with, we were talking about the idea of selling out came out. And he was like, what do you mean sell out? Okay. And you and I both thought, he was saying, why was that perceived as problematic? I mean, we're explaining how, oh, there's this kind of this distance of the idea of like what, uh, you know, the reason you're in art and all these things. And then we realized he literally didn't know what it meant. Yeah. Like he, it wasn't that he couldn't understand why it was a problem. He had never before sort of even heard that expression. Um, I, I do think in a way like the 90s in some way kind of damaged me. Because uh, that was such yeah. a central part no of shit. everything. And it, it really sort of complicates the way I think about a lot of things. Because, uh, I, I mean, this is why, you know, if there's a reason to rewatch this movie, I think this is this is kind of it. You know, like, so there, there's this, the core conflict is between, like, should she go with Ethan Hawke or should she go with Ben Stiller? Yeah. You know? And when this movie was reviewed by Siskel and Ebert at the time, the, their takeaway was, well, she picked the wrong guy, okay? Um, and for younger people— Picking, that, pick, picking Ethan Hawke, they thought was yes, the wrong choice? That, well, they were like, you know— And that was sort of made a lot of people who were my age were like, well, this proves they didn't get the movie. Because it seemed very obvious that among these sort of two kind of— these two types of person, that you would go with the person who ultimately is more like you. That they like that that their sort of their sense of what is important about art and all these things. This is the person who's like you, um, and that is a very strange thing to watch now because one, I'm older, but also I think that if this movie was shown to younger people, they would actually be more prone to agree with Siskel and Ebert's take. That Ben Stiller is the person that you know he's just he's a he's a nicer yeah, person. Yeah, because it's not only that he's yeah. more financially supportive, it's that he's actually like a more sensitive, caring person. Yes, and it's like when he there's this he's like, I understand her in a way you never will. Yeah. I think they'd be like, that's true. He understands that like she just wants, you know, to have this person in her life. Uh it's just uh But the chances are uh, that at 23 or however they are at the end of the how old they are at the yeah. end of this movie, 20, like 23, 24, yeah. right? 22, I don't even know. Troy's going to do exactly what Troy's been doing six weeks later. You know what I mean? Like nobody changes. Nobody has this personality reinvention that early in life. You have to go through a few more like struggles usually before you like kind of. Don't step on Troy's future because that's a probably unanswerable question. So the, the thing about just to get back to like the sort of the undercurrent of economic discussion that happens in this movie. The funniest thing about it ultimately is that reality bites itself is something was at least viewed by. Me and my friends in high school, I was going into my senior year that that year. Uh, well, I guess I would be going as a junior. So, I, But we, we looked at Reality Bites itself as a sellout because Reality Bites was directed by Ben Stiller and it was a major studio motion picture, even though they had trouble funding it at first. And we kind of looked at it that as this is like, Oh, they're trying to cash in on the fact that the people co-opting are co-opting the counterculture and, and like this is the most mainstream version yes. of, of what a movie like Slacker was. Yes. So like, you know, th- these kind of people exist, but here's like this mainstream version. But the economic but then the movie has that in the movie. Yes, yeah. that's what I'm saying. Yeah. There's like yeah. there's almost like the Russian doll of, of irony in this like whole production. Well, yeah. there's one other thing, because you talked about authenticity. And I do think that's 
a children of the 90s. So I guess, what year were you born? 77. Yeah. So like, I would say from 69 to 77, maybe 78, or maybe 68, or that 10 years, your parents were like the big, were the ones who maybe your dad almost got drafted into Vietnam or he went or he protested or he liked the music. And at some point, Jane Fonda's husband is like the touch point for this, right? He was like one of the, one of the radicals, but then mm. was considered like, well, then he tried to be, it's like, well, now what do we do? We got to make, it's time to start making some money. And that was always kind of the big battle is how long do you keep your authenticity? That's what the big show is about. Yeah. Mm. What do you have? But what Kevin Klein's selling shoes in the big chill now. It's like this guy was on the front wall. Of the yeah. And there was line. also like, the, like what do you do? Chuck's talking about like how the 90s kind of ruined him. I mean, he and I both probably witnessed firsthand acts of incredible cannibalism by people of our generation where they would see anyone kind of maybe succeeding in a way that didn't match up with a, a certain ethic. And you just basically be like that. This like I remember actively turning on bands that I loved for signing with majors. Now, this yeah. this kind of went away after a short period of time, but I know friends of mine who would just were like, this band Jawbreaker is dead to me well, for signing with Geffen. And you know, you know? What, what the weird thing is, is when I think about myself from that period, when it came to things like bands and films and writers and stuff like that, I sort of took the contrarian position where I was like, it's okay to sell out. That's totally fine. That's totally cool. But in my actual life and the life of my peers, I was like, had the most critical sort of like cliche indie rock perspective mm-hmm. that, that like it was just anything that you did that in any way compromised what your alleged goal was. If there was a reward for it, it was, just, it destroyed the whole thing. I mean, like in this movie, he takes her film and he makes it into something that's not very good, but Troy doesn't do anything for it. Troy's like, I won't ruin your art because I have nothing to offer. You know, yeah. this guy's trying to make this happen. And, I don't think to to people who are a lot younger or even to people who are a lot older, anybody who existed outside of being a young person at that time would not see what he did as some kind of travesty. But her immediate reaction in the film is to recoil from it. Uh, somehow he's never let her see it until it's being premiered, which is a weird twist. But like her reaction to that is disgust. And the relationship is essentially over from this attempt to help her. Um, that I don't, I think that, that's a that's a snapshot of a time period that's not it wasn't like that in the 80s and it's not like that now. Yeah. Do you, when do you think selling out started? When do you think the concept was? Who do you think the first Well, I mean I think that it's it's you think the first it goes along with punk or, rock, you know what I mean? I mean even though a lot of those early British punk rock bands were on major labels that their their relative rises and falls in popularity where a lot of it was tied to whether or not people felt like they were abandoning the punk ethos. Yeah. It especially starts to become more clear as independent music and independent cinema in America start rising in the 80s. And then I think when major labels and mainstream culture gets interested in alternative culture, for lack of a better term, in the end of the 80s and the beginning of the 90s with Nirvana and Seattle— even though there had been other alternative bands who had risen up then, I think that's where you got really defensive. I still see, remember to this day, there was this band called Velocity Girl. Yeah. Do you remember them? Yeah, I remember the name. They had, and they placed a song in a Volkswagen ad. And they, we, I was at a show where that song got like booed. 
People would do that. Yeah, they, they got it. Got booed when they played that. That song rules, too. Well, okay, well, there's like a, there's like an abstract example of this in this movie, which I think is a, a, to me one of the a very interesting parts. In okay, so so Ben Stiller and Winona Ryder are in the car, and he's playing Frampton Comes Alive. Uh-huh. And he his reaction is sort of like, well, you know, it's it's emblematic of the kind of person I am. I'm the kind of person who listens to Frampton Comes Alive in the book High Fidelity. There's a situation where the main character sees a woman who's playing a cover of of a Peter Frampton song, and he's like, "Oh God, now I gotta like this song." Um, Dinosaur Junior had covered a song mm-hmm. off of that record, and that was meaningful because it was Show like, me the way, "I'm right? showing you." Yes, yeah. and, and it was like Jay Maskus basically saying, "It's like this these things that." Everyone knows are supposed to be lame. I still like. Like it was almost his attempt to saying, I don't agree with a lot of this indie rock ethos. Mm. Now you look at that record, Frampton Comes Alive. There's not things like that anymore where absolutely everyone understands what its meaning is supposed to be in this movie. You don't have to be a big music fan. You don't have to know anything about Peter Frampton. But you know the fact that the Ben Stiller character likes Peter Frampton. We all understood that this is something that existed for purely commercial purposes. That if you're into Frampton Comes Alive, it means it's like yeah. you like big things and you don't, you're don't. you not part of the counterculture or whatever. That's why it would be very difficult to make a movie similar to this now because I don't think those things exist without yeah, a monoculture. because there was a really yeah. specific point in time, especially around the time of this movie and a little bit before, where the means of production were becoming more widely available. Like if you were a band and you could scrounge together a couple hundred bucks, you could get a single pressed up, like a seven inch. Or you could even put out an album. Maybe there would be an independent label in your town that could put it out. It's happened all the time in Boston, obviously. This is what I'm speaking of. But the means of distribution weren't quite there yet. So you didn't have Spotify, you didn't have Apple, you didn't have Twitter to publicize yourself. You were essentially reliant on zines and alt-weeklies to get any kind of publicity for your your art. And because then mainstream culture and major labels and movie studios and everybody else starts to see money in that underground culture, there's just this incredible rejection of that. That's that point. But now I think the fact that, you know, we, the four of us here in this room, could start a band, put it up on SoundCloud, and tweet it out to however many people in a matter of like four hours, that's a completely different uh, equation that people are dealing with today. So that's why I don't think like it even occurs to them. And there just seems to be a maxim of, I want as many people to hear, read, see this as possible. Well, yeah. I mean, I, I was thinking like if, if this movie was made now and they used, you know, I'm trying to think of, you know, Ed Sheeran or something like that. But, even those songs are not familiar enough. Like there's not, there's not the the most popular. No, he would have he would have played Coldplay like yeah. Clocks or something. That uh, Coldplay might have been the last possible band they could have used in that position. We're gonna get to it later, but that Frampton song was not the original choice for that scene. Oh, huh. yeah. There's a little half-assed <laughs> internet research. Oh, that's I can't wait. Intervene no. on us along with some other things. We have to talk about one more big thing of this movie: the pop culture references. You know, I mean, they're all over this place. I watched with uh, nephew Kyle, who's 25 and didn't get half of them. I mean, there's literally a scene where they're playing the Good Times game and they're just sitting around a table trying to name premises from a Good Times thing or a Good Times episode. And this was something that I think I've talked about this with you before, but there was an SNL episode where Susan Day was the host and they had a Partridge family slash Brady Bunch kind of clash and everybody in the cast was like one member of those and everyone who watched who watched it was delighted by it because we all got that joke and it was because all the people that were either in high school college growing up like that was one of the only things we had was pop culture 
and that we all watch these same shows and movies. And that's what really jumps out at me when I watch this movie is he's just casually throwing these Mr. Roper and um, oh, yeah. Good Times and Jeffersons and commercials and Conjunction Junction. And that was like, that was the way they bonded. And now I think like somebody like Craig, how old are you, Craig? 24. Craig's generation, they have a million other things other than just, we just basically had sports and pop culture and music and well, politics. And, and it was just, it was, you know, there was just syndication made the things he talks about like available, like the Frampton thing, like known to people who didn't even like it. I mean, that is, a, there was, that was a big part, I think also of just like when the nineties started sort of looking back at culture and stuff, it was like, there were all these shared things, but they weren't all beloved things. There were things that was almost like they were kind of put upon us. To, we like, you had to watch different strokes or whatever, because what else are you going to watch? Hey, 12 yeah. channels. Yeah. Um, and, music was yeah. like that too. I remember when I started buying CDs, it was only like two decades of music to buy. You, you also know? only had like, a finite right, amount company. of CDs. Yeah, so CD. you were just mm. like, I'm just going to have this, maybe you tape, CDs onto a tape and have it in your car. And yeah. Like I have one album on one side and another album on the other. I had I had like a long stretch of from like 95 to 97 where I feel like I had six tapes in my car with like nine albums on them. Yeah, and I just you listened to tape album. Yeah, it is super chunk and Afghan wigs and rancid and like a bunch of records. But that was like I feel like I had even though I probably had like a hundred or two hundred CDs, like mm. I listened to them over and over and over again in a way that you can start to develop those unifying theories of Peter Frampton. You know what Ab I mean? Well, absolutely. I mean, I think a lot of what people describe as nostalgia, it's th th there's always this belief that, you know, they're transporting their life back to this time and they're thinking about themselves while they're listening to something else. Part of it just has to do is you listened to certain things and saw things so much that whatever possible content was in there, you got it all. So you're almost like a complete expert on right. a, rel on a relatively randomly selected Afghan wigs record that yeah. you've heard enough times that like there are things you think about it that the band doesn't think yes. about, you know? Yeah. Although yeah. I would say yeah. that mystery, there was a little bit more mystery around some of that art back then. And I think some of the artists were a little bit more encouraging of fill in the blanks here. Like there was a little bit more, it was a little bit more cryptic back then mm. to some extent. I, I remember, um, we talk about the selling out thing. I remember when U2 released Rattle and Hum. Mm -hmm. Yeah. U2 had so much, so much uh, integrity at that leading up to that album. Every choice they made was like a choice that I really liked and approved of. And then they did that one and it was like they were just so clearly trying to go to this next level. That was the first time I ever really remember being disappointed well, in something. And but they were interesting. Then they made the process of selling out like a thing that they did to varying yes. levels. Yeah, they made it. They, they, they just kept going over and over and just doing it. You know, up. You know, uh, like and the pop record pop being that, sort of the yeah. apex of yeah. that. But, yeah. Um, one thing I wanted to ask you guys about because this is something I thought while I was rewatching it, and this has to do with, I suppose, what we know about the person now, but. Um, Part of what I think makes this movie successful is that I think that Ben Stiller's character is much more endearing and charming than it would have seemed on the script. And you think that because he directed the movie and because he seems to be the kind of person who really wants to be liked, he could not resist making that character more likable 
than maybe the original, like maybe in the original intent of the movie, it should have been pretty clear that this guy is somebody who's trying to corrupt Winona Ryder and this guy is somebody I who's I have some like, information on this. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, the character is supposed to be 35. Hmm. And I think he decided to And he was like selling into, soda, right? He was yeah. like insurance or something. Yeah. Yeah, and I also think- Well, he's, group, sell, he's selling insurance, so how was he going to help her career? Well, this was when they had to rewrite okay. the whole Yeah, because I think that this went through dozens of drafts, I right? forgot to mention at the top, it's been 25 years since this movie. And I think one of the interesting things about rewatching it is we have such a history now with Ethan Hawke and Ben Stiller. And you're watching Ben Stiller now, and it's like- I'm almost watching that character under the prism of these other 20 Ben Stiller movies I've seen because it's all the pieces of that in there. So he's like inherently more likable anyway than maybe he was in 1993. No, wait wait a second. Who the fuck is this guy? No, no. Ben Stiller was more likable then than he is now. No, I'm saying the character. I feel like Hmm. I'm tying more of my own history of Ben Stiller into the character than just looking at the character. Does that make sense? I just feel like there's not like in the- To your point, I think that you're right in that I wonder whether or not Ben Stiller's partial authorship of the movie has to do with the likability of Michael. But I think it's a really savvy bit of movie making that they make it just like, here's the triangle. It's, and, and, no. and it's actually a tug of war and not like, so this guy's a dick. Like, yeah. What are you, well, what are you at, even thinking about? The yeah. scene at the end when she runs away and they're talking to each other, you know, uh, Ethan Hawke and Ben Stiller, it's sort of like a- uh, it would be you. It's hard to look at that and not being like, well, Ben Stiller's being more reasonable here, and I think that his desire to be with her is less about his like, like Ethan Hawke. If you tried to get into the psychology of why his character is into the Winona Ryder character, I think it's a lot would have to do with himself. Whereas I'm, with Ben Stiller, I don't know if that would be my analysis. I'm why. going the other way. I think uh, Ben Stiller gets a raw deal in this movie a little bit. Like, first of all, if if he's taking something to New York, Winona Ryder should have wanted to see the final cut of it, right? Mm-hmm. I blame I blame her on that. This is the biggest moment of her career. Mm-hmm. But then he apologizes. He goes to the bar and he's like, hey, we're going to fix I this. Come tickets, to New York yeah. with me. Let's go. And she's still like, fuck you, I'm out. I felt like okay, that was a little well, bit of overreaction. This is what she yeah. wants to do for a living. Okay, She wants to be a documentary filmmaker. Have either of you guys watched the DVD of this? No. Okay, because there are bonus scenes, and there is a scene Ooh. that was removed from the film that is, would be set very late in the film mm. where she explains to Ben Stiller why she's making this decision to be with Troy. Oh. But it's filmed in front of a huge water fountain, which you see in an earlier part of the movie, and they could not get the sound of the water out. So like they just a, cut the scene? So they cut the scene. That's, and, a, that's no, amazing. Well, well, but here's the deal. <laughs> that's not yes. in my research. No, here's the situation. If that scene had been included, I don't think it would have helped the movie. I think it is because, granted, this the verisimilitude isn't the biggest part of this, but when somebody is in a relationship where they're dealing with two people and they end up choosing one, the other one just kind of disappears. You gotta get rid of them. And that's yeah. kind of how it would be. And I don't know if Ben Stiller would uh, have been like very cool with the idea. Well, I mean, who knows? It doesn't matter if he'd have been cool or not. Maybe he would have been. Um, but I that th- that scene was supposedly removed because of the sound of the waterfall or well, the, of the fountain. That they the effect you know. of the movie 25 years ago was you did not want her to end up with Ben Stiller. 
I think well, when you yeah. watch it now, 25 years later, that one of the things that really jumps out is Ethan Hawke's like a fucking asshole in a oh, lot of yeah. different scenes. Yeah. Like in ways that seem yeah. worse now than yeah. maybe. Amanda and I were just talking about it and it's she rough. was like, it's it's so interesting to see how when you're if you're like when you're 18 or 20, you can't, you know, you, you see him, you see Ethan Hawke, he's so dreamy, you're into him. But then as you get older, you're just like, this is such an obvious choice to go with the Ben Stiller character here. Yeah. You know. Um Mixed reviews from the critics. A box office success made $33.4 million against an $11.5 million budget. Certainly got Ben Stiller going. Then he ended up, I think he did Cable Guy, and then his own career took off, and he ended up becoming the biggest star of the five of them. I don't, I'm not positive I ever liked Winona Ryder in anything as much as this movie other than maybe Heather's. And I do feel like she's had the resurgence now lately with the, with Stranger the Things and everything, yeah. but... Um, I do feel, I do look at her in a way like, uh, like I look at some NBA players, you know, where it's like, ah, Penny Hardaway, man. I don't know what, <laughs> I don't know what happened there. So is Stranger Things her coaching Memphis then? <laughs> yeah, I think it is. But, you know, I, I think there was a real corner for her from after Heathers came out all the way through to like 95, 96, where she really could have like just dominated. And all of the choices she made, she probably had some personal stuff too, but she was, I really liked though, her. I mean, she was kind of the indie rock dream at that time. And that part of it. I mean, it was like she was she was interested in dating musicians. Yep. Um, and she looked the way like No she, makeup, she no had, bra. She had the look of the kind of woman you would see at shows. Like yeah. That. And, yeah. And she was like the apex of that kind of juvenile sophomore projection of what you want from this person. You know, it's like the ultimate dream girlfriend in 1994. I gotta, I gotta say, she's not just the dream girlfriend, but Janine Garofalo was always the female friend I always really wanted to have and never totally found when I was in college. She liked all the things I liked. It's kind of an extension of Lily Taylor from Say Anything a little bit. Absolutely. She's 28. In this movie, she's playing, playing twenty three. Yeah. No, she's playing twenty three. She but, is I mean, she's older than the yeah. character, um, yeah. and uh, uh, it seemed like a like I, that surprised me to learn that she seemed. You know, I guess I just assumed it was like, well, that's what they say she is, so that's what it is. I guess it happens with movies a lot. The she's so fucking likable in this movie. Yeah, I, I like I how I also the you know when you're watching it, if you watch it young or old, it might seem like the ensemble of people living together is a little bit like. Oh, okay. So, like, Winona Ryder is trying to balance, like, this, like, being sucked up by this corporation, and she's getting an AIDS test, and Steve Zahn's in the mm-hmm. closet, and and it all seems a little too convenient so that they can touch all these bases. But in fact, like, when you're when you're that age, like, you just kind of find three people to live with, and it, yeah, it no. isn't like, oh yeah, I found like my my core four here. You're like. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then this other guy moved in, and she had a, mm. she had a boyfriend, but it was an ex boyfriend, but he was sleeping on her couch, and sometimes he would pay rent. Like there are just like you, everybody and has a stuck, story and like he that. Stuck uh, underwear in our laundry. Yeah, right, exactly. Yeah. All right, let's do the most rewatchable scene. This is presented by Slink TV. If you need to refresh your memory of the nominated scenes from Reality Bites, which we'll get to in a second, or prep for next week's rewatchable, forgetting Sarah Marshall. Wow. Uh, that's going to be a good one. Look for, no further than Slink TV, deep library of new and classic movies, current shows, and of course, live sports. Watch on your TV phone or tablet whenever or wherever. Do you ever expect you just at the touch of a finger, you'd have all these movies that you loved in your life? No, it's just like daunting, two but it's also paradise. Remember like when DVDs came out and we we're like, whoa. Remember I going to the video d- store and just standing in an aisle and trying to make up your mind? Yeah. Now you can just do it on Sling. They broke in the traditional TV bundle. 
Customize your channel lineup from one month to the next. Watch what you want, when you want, where you want. Um, even nephew Kyle uses it. That's how we know it's the future. <laughs> they created a special ribbon for us in the Slink TV app with Noted about futurist s- nephew Kyle. Future he is. Yeah. Future of something. <laughs> 17 of the movies we've discussed on the rewatchables is in this app and the corresponding episodes of this podcast. So you can finally give a movie like, I don't know, Midnight Run. Just to pick one out of a hat. The love it so richly deserves. Yeah. We did that one uh, about six months ago. It's an all-timer. College Hoops in full swing, NBA playoffs, NHL playoffs, MLB opening day around the corner. Don't miss out. There's a better way to watch TV. It's with Sling. Sign up. Sling.com slash rewatchables. Special offer just for our listeners. 14 days free. Imagine how many movies you can jam in 14 days. 14 days for free. Enter promo code RINGER. Sling.com slash rewatchables. Promo code winger RINGER. Offer available to new customers only. Availability may vary by location. Other restrictions apply. And now, the nominees, most rewatchable scene. It's interesting. It's a, it's, I found it, I think it's an amazingly rewatchable movie, but it also doesn't have like a shitload of like rewatchable scenes. Like that are just like, you could point to and be like, that scene, that's definitely the one. I listed some. I think the gas station scene near the top was, uh, was one of the memorable ones initially when they tell the guy behind the counter mm. and put on my Sharona, they're out dancing. <laughs> Evian is naive spelled backwards. <gasps> Can you turn this up, please? Please? You won't be sorry. Thank you. I remember that being a big deal at the time. I liked uh, after Lainey got fired when... Uh, she goes out with Troy and for the first time and they're walking and he ends up trying to kiss her. But for the first time, you can really see the connection with them because sometimes with these movies, it's like these two have a connection, but they don't actually spend the scene to well, no, extend the yeah, capital I, on it. I, I, I was One thing that uh, my wife had mentioned to me is she's like, there's nothing in this movie that suggests that uh, Winona Ryder and Ethan Hawke would have a deep connection. But that scene this is, is the scene well, that Well, that's the closest it to it. But also- this is like, you know, the movie's kind of set up. It's like, we're supposed to know that almost from the inception. Like, okay, the hardest thing. The opening credits. The hardest thing to do in, in many movies, I feel like, is is try to then, within that movie, try to show people filming themselves in a way that actually makes them seem natural. Yeah. And the scene of them in the, the opening where they're on the roof talking, that's kind of maybe some maybe the worst part of the movie. But- they include that part where, like, Winona Ryder acts as though it's like, this is why we were never together. And it's almost like, so the scene where they walk around, I, I, it's, I don't know if that deepened our belief in this. To me, the part that deepens my belief in their relationship are actually the scenes where they fight. Mm. Because, like, when they have, when he brings the other girl mm-hmm. to the house and they have that fight. You shut up! I busted my ass to find a job, any job. You don't even bother showing up for interviews. What is it that you want from me, huh? What is it? You want me to get a job on the line for the next 20 years until I'm granted leave with my gold plated watch and my balls full of tumors because I surrendered the one thing that means shit to me? Well, honey, you can just exhale because it's not going to happen, not in this lifetime. Though, like, it almost seemed like their angry interactions validate their connection much more yeah, than the Yeah, the relationship makes things. a ton of sense to me. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I just yeah. think that he he pretty perfectly manipulates her. He drives her 
nuts, makes her incredibly vulnerable, and then just at the breaking point, like it seems like he just swoops in and it says the exact perfect thing. Well, that him. scene, the scene where he ends up trying to kiss her, the one I just mentioned, that's one where he does a, this is all we need, a cup of coffee, five bucks. Yeah. That's the only time where you're like, oh, he actually does like her. Because there's a lot of scenes in this movie like, wait a second, do you actually like her? Uh, but the, the writing of that scene is not so great, as is the, 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 you know, the very critical scene where he's talking about his father and the seashell. And he's like, I just sit here smoking my camel straights. Those are the worst parts of the movie, I think, when they attempt to sort of uh, like – like he looks and he acts and sort of has the posture of that kind of guy. And then every so often they try to have you actually speak that world yeah. and it's not as good. Yeah. Like it would, like they, they, you know, and, but of course everyone, like in a sense, you know, Ben Stiller, his whole life has never been that kind of guy. Yeah. And, you know, it's like he's, he's never been sort of that person. So, uh, it, it's kind of almost a credit to Ethan so, Hawke. So Chuck's not voting for that scene. <laughs> no, um, no. Melrose plays Melrose AIDS. And it's like it's not even happening to me. It's like I'm watching it on some crappy show like Melrose Place or some shit, right? And I'm the new character. I'm the HIV AIDS character. And I live in the building and I teach everybody that it's okay to be near me. It's okay to talk to me. And then I die. And there's everybody at my funeral wearing halter tops and chokers or some shit like that. My personal favorite. I'm just going to tell you that one wins. That, no, I, and I'll make the case. No for shock you a there. Uh, secret handshake scene. The Ben, the Ben Stiller, Ethan Hawke showdown. Oh yeah, yeah. pick him up for the date, pick her up for the date, and then uh, the big fight they had, followed by the incredible violent femme song. That uh, we'll get to Ethan Hawke singing in a second, but like really shockingly good. That could have gone so much worse with different actors. <laughs> uh, what else do you have for rewatchable scenes? You know, I, I think that it's not a rewatchable scene necessarily because like you're like, oh, I really just can't wait to watch the acting in it. But I, I do think of the the All I Want Is You drop as a pretty great use of, of a song in a yeah. movie. And that whole montage of her seeing him, thinking she's seeing him going up to Steve Zahn in the diner. In there. I agree with you. Going up to Steve Zahn in the diner and being like, can you just let me know if he's okay? It's actually a... a it makes me really appreciate how good that song was. Is that before or after one is on Friends? Before. No, well before. Yeah. Well, before. well, okay. Yeah. So, you know, because this isn't, I guess, a full scene. It's more like just a, an exchange of dialogue. But just speaking of Friends, it's interesting because anybody who remembers this remembers this. There's, a, there's an episode of Friends that involved Hootie and the Blowfish. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's like the, the, the six friends are kind of bifurcated because three of them can afford it and three of them can't or whatever. I think that the exchange in Reality Bites when she loses her job and Gianna Ruffles oh, like, yeah. you can work for me at The Gap. Yeah, and she's yeah, like, yeah. I'm not working at The Fucking Gap. I'm not going to work at The Gap for Christ's sake, okay? No. I oh, mean, no. no I meant I'm I didn't so mean sorry. Oh, how stupid of me to try to drag you down to my level. Vicky, you don't do this, okay? Shut up. Come we're the on. same person in many ways, but we're not the same person because... Even though you're my best friend, I do not think of you as my peer. And I, you know, and like those situations, those small situations, like during that age, that does happen. Oh, yeah. Like when you're 
you know, uh, when you're 20, 21, 22, 23, I definitely remember being somebody who had a job, having some friends in college, me coming back to party in college and being like, let's go to a restaurant, you know, before we get drunk. <laughs> yeah. And they're like, no, yeah. we're just getting drunk now. And I was like, well, I understand, but it's like, let's just go and talk a little bit. And they're like, I don't want to waste. If we're just going to get drunk, I don't want to go to a Chinese restaurant and waste 12 bucks. Let's just do it. And it was like, that's that small, weird conflict that you have when the stakes are so low oh, yeah. that, you know, they're, the people in this movie are making $400 a week. Um, so what do we assume their rent is? That's why I'll defend those. Like seat. 800 a month? I would guess. No, it's. It, I would say it was a, probably like 500 a month. Yeah, in Houston. And Maybe in, less. In, in fact, probably way, what are we talking about? It might be 450 a month. That's why I defend season one of Friends because I thought it did a nice job of, in these weird ways of uh, – what it was like to have a even roommate it, in the mid nineties, even though they were like all living like on Central Park, yeah, <laughs> yeah, like to, you always had. I remember I had the one friend who was all of a sudden he was making fifty thousand dollars a year, and it was weird. Like we talked about, it. it's like you make way more money than I do. Um, I am going to pick. I'll defend the Melrose Place aid scene in two ways. One is it's it's just really funny that just the whole concept of um the character shows up. There's something wrong with me. Um, and then it ends with the Melrose Place, a really good show that always makes me laugh. But this movie does a really good job of laying out like how important and influential AIDS was with just the way we talked about it with everything. Sex life, should I get tested? Do I have it? I know somebody who I know somebody who knows somebody. Do you know anything about this person? Yeah, yeah. it would be, it was constant and it was this fear. It was post-Magic Johnson of... I could get AIDS from anybody. And it lasted for, I don't know, five years, something like that. And this movie, out of any movie I've seen from this era, does the best job of just kind of making that a character. And it worked. So that would be my case. What was your most rewatchable scene? I'm going to go with the U2 scene that I, that I talked it's about. It's pretty good. Yeah. Uh, well, I would say the fight when he brings in the other girl. Yeah, I think that's, that's the best scene in the movie. Yeah. No. Tough haircut on that, on that other girl. It, it is. was pretty popular back then. I know. It has that age well. Nephew Kyle noticed it. He's like, what's going on with it's the hair? A, it's, <laughs> it is the, there's just a, I, I like the part where it's like, we're fighting and I'm talking about her like she's not here. Yeah. Like she refers to her once like, <laughs> that was like don't scene. fuck around with your life. Don't fuck around with her or whatever. It's like, you know. Uh, what's age the best? We talked about Janine's room. Talked about the fair of AIDS. Um, good morning, Grant. <laughs> <laughs> Just was that was the kind of morning show that people had in the mid nineties. Yeah, it's another form now. There's probably some women. Did you on feel it with like when hair. you guys were younger? It's going to be a different answer because you were in Boston and you were obviously in Akron. But well, did, how much younger? Well, just younger before you moved to. Well, say I, I was basically going to ask like, did you think you could get a job in the field that you wanted to get in <laughs> without moving to New York or LA? Yes. I, I didn't think I could get a job in the field I wanted to be in. Sure. But well, I mean, I didn't, I, I'm serious. I just did not, it had never occurred to me that those were jobs you could just get. Right. I, yeah. So like working for Good Morning Grant would have been a pretty decent job for Lainey. Yeah. yeah. Well, she's valedictorian. I mean, there's <laughs> a lot of pressure on her. Well, I mean, she wanted um, to get in TV production. In Houston, there'd be a limited amount yeah, of, yes, yeah, yeah. you know, yeah. More what's age the best, uh, Winona Ryder, Gen X goddess. I think what has aged the best. I'm it, not done with okay. my oh, list. You can go. Yeah, let it do his nonsense. Come on. Uh, Garofalo, I think, has aged really well. And it still makes me mad that um, I, I wish we could do her career over again, too. I think there's 
a couple of things that could have gone other ways where I, I just felt like she should have been more great in the truth about cats and dogs. She's just, she, it, she became too self-aware at some point. And then I think she became very political, obviously. And then the moment kind of sailed, but there was a moment there where I thought she could have been more influential. Ethan's Hawk, Ethan Hawk's music aged really well. Considering it's an actor, like think about if this is 10 years later, it's James Franco. Like, I just don't feel like he pulls off the violent femme song. Uh, Rolling Rock was fantastic. All seeing the Rolling Rocks was brought me back to the 90s. <laughs> and then uh, the last one is just the soundtrack, I think, is really good. Uh, World Party, Crowded House, Squeeze, My Sharona, isn't Story of My Life, isn't Frampton. Isn't Lenny Kravitz on yeah. that? Yeah, Kravitz. Kravitz it's that. just, it goes on and on. And it really feels like a 1994 soundtrack. And I got to say, I, I think that's probably, for me, age the best, other than the fact that they were so smart about how they dealt with Do you with think that Ethan Hawke's character would have been listening to that kind of music? What kind of music? Like this, it's sort of like alternative radio. I, but I do do we know he was listening to it? Because yeah, I don't know if that was. I feel like he would have liked Fugazi. See, I think he would yeah, like all the like, Joe or House Daniel songs. Johnston. Or I don't even know if that would have been around back. back like anybody would have tapes of that back then. Yeah. But like, I, what, what do I think he would have actually been into? Um, well, definitely the Violent Femmes. Yeah. Yeah. And REM. Yeah. R.E.M. R.E.M. would probably be the biggest band he would say he loved. I don't think he would have liked R.E.M. Um, Ethan Hawke's character? No. I think he would have thought they sold out with Monster <laughs> or something, whatever, whatever your Monster came out. Like maybe he'd be like in like, I don't know, like Arc Welder and stuff. I don't That would be pretty cool. Yeah. The, the, What's age the best for you, Chuck? Well, the, uh, I would say uh, two things, and I guess that they're both vaguely musically related. I think the naming of his band, Hey, That's My Bike, is a very good encapsulation of how bands were being named at that time. Where it's sort of like that. I should have put that in that there. That seems like the kind of thing. It's the kind of name you give your band to tell people we don't intend to be popular. Like we we have no expectation of yes. this. We're calling this because it's like it's something that should make you laugh once for five seconds, but it's our band name forever. Do you like it more than Citizen Dick or no? Yes, I do. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, the other thing is I'm out the soundtrack. I it's. I don't know if I sit for this age as well, but the song stay the idea of what Lisa Loeb was like, you know, wow. the, the idea of how Lisa Loeb, her glasses, sort of the way she, uh, you know, that because that's like a, that's totally mainstream, right? She's top 40 radio. But the specific details of the song. Yeah. It is. It does. And seem then Ethan like, Hawke directed the video, right? Probably. That's a cool video. Yeah. 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 I defend that video. Yeah. What is your best for you, Chris Ryan? Winona Ryder. Yeah. Winona, I think her performance is great in this movie, too. I, uh, Penny Hardaway, I'm telling you. <laughs> <laughs> I like Penny Hardaway. Um, I think it's weird that the World Party song is just not online. Is that because of the Young American sample? Is that because it has I, the I, Bowie it's thing? It's gone. I, I actually have it on my iTunes from years ago before they took it off and it's downloaded. So it can't, they can't take it from you once it gets downloaded. <laughs> Uh, what's age the worst? This is a very obvious answer, so we'll go with the nominees. Troy's witty pop culture comebacks. What's that? I'm not a pepper. This girl is cuckoo for cocoa, cocoa puffs. puffs. Yeah, I'm bursting with fruit flavor. Like it's just come on. Uh, so the good times game is age the worst, even though I really enjoy it. It's just really hard to explain to basically anybody under 35, and we'll get into how we scored that in a second. There's a frightening amount of product placement in this movie, and I think it's intentional. And, I, and Ben Stiller actually admitted it was one of the ways they paid for the movie. So if you look, it's like constant Diet Coke, 
Rolling Rock, super big gulp. Big gulps, yeah. They put it all over the place. Uh, another What's Age the Worst, just for me personally, notice how there's no real coffee in this movie. It's They're drinking morning big gulps in the morning instead of coffee. <laughs> he like, goes to the coffee shop when I he's- th- It made me wonder, did friends start coffee? <laughs> Well, did Singles is coffee set in a cool? coffee yeah. shop. That's right. Yeah, but Singles is a duo. The belief in Singles is that people will not drive their cars and give them good music, good coffee. Good coffee yeah. That's yeah. All singles bombed. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I'm just saying, like, no it's, it predates that. Yeah. I mean, do they go to co- get coffee yeah. in Slacker? I can't remember. Uh, people are drinking coffee, but they're drinking diner coffee. Oh, uh, okay. Yeah. I think Central Perk started coffee. Central Perk started coffee. <laughs> I think it did. I think all uh, the guys in Reservoir Dogs sitting around the coffee shop disagree with that you. That might have done that. Uh then the two uh, the two main nominees for What's Age the Worst. Troy is just a fucking asshole in some of these scenes, like in a really kind of dark way. Um, we're used to it because we've seen this movie forever, but it has to be mentioned. And then the gay character. It's like the all-time shoehorning a subplot, but they didn't really have the balls to go with it. It, w- it was almost like, so you're thinking 94, this is right when Pedro was on Real World San Francisco, and it was we are just starting to introduce the concept of the gay guy on TV and like yeah. Melrose Place said the gay guy, they wouldn't let him kiss anybody. And then they kind of shoehorned it in there and it, and he basically, it's poor Steve Zahn has like two minutes to be like, I'm going to come out to my parents. And then he does. And then they're just done with him. We never see him again. Uh, it feels a little bit like a vestige from an earlier version of the script. Yeah, it was bad. But like that that character probably had more to do. And now, but in the, the sort of finished product, he's like, I helped Troy move in and out of the apartment three times. Right. And and I answered, "Where's do you know where Troy is?" Twice yeah. <laughs> when I was at a diner. What's age worse for you? I, the Steve Zahn stuff is not a terrible answer. Although now, as I'm thinking about it, a lot of the gay people I knew at that time had not come out to their parents yet. Like that, it was more you, you that that was almost impossible to imagine that now. But like mm. somebody who's 22, 23, 24, 25. So maybe for a lot of people, that was like, boy, this is actually a problem. Yeah, I'm thank losing. God we got covered. Um, Could have given him two more minutes. Uh, Chris, you answer well. Yeah, Chuck's thinking about I it. I don't. I don't think it's aged the worst, but I think the characterization of like Michael's job was in your face TV. Yeah, like I get with that it's supposed to be an in, a, a local version of MTV. It's a MTV parody, basically. Yeah, but I I, I kind of feel like hard. that's it's tried too hard. Like they kind of push that over the top so that Michael can be softer, but the place he works is evil. And it, it just feels like a little bit too much. You Although don't think your face TV would have worked in 1994? <laughs> I mean, it would, it would have been interesting. I guess that's supposed to be like much music or something well, like that. It was, it was, you know, that was that period where it was this strange thing where MTV was hugely popular and universally disliked anecdotally. Yeah. Like you would never, you would never say like, I love MTV. You would list all of the videos you like and you'd be like, oh, I kind of like Kennedy or I, oh, I like Steve Isaacs or whatever. There's VJs you would like. You might like all of these different things about it, but you would never ever possibly say that the institution of MTV, it was kind of like ESPN in a way. It was like you would, it was, it was, seemed odd to align yeah, yourself that's true. with the institution, even if all of the things about your life that you love are sort of filtered through that. So they did, you know, and they, the fonts they use in that are just like the real world. Uh-huh. And yeah. the real world was real young at this time. Yeah, like the real the real world it's had like third had, season. Well, it, no, the third season I was already out of uh, out of college when that happened. But so two this seasons. was two yeah, seasons, right. and 
because the L.A. season of the real world wasn't as popular, I think a lot of people thought maybe this is just done now. Like they'll, they did it once and they'll do it again. It, what a ridiculous idea. Like certainly now with reality programming, and nobody Puck would and ever Pedro know. really yeah, took it they, to the next they, level. They did, you know, you put did. your finger in my peanut butter. <laughs> hey, let's take a break to talk about Bud Light. Did you know not all alcohol products are required to list their ingredients? Neither is Chris Ryan, by the way. That was news to me. Bud Light is changing the game. They believe that we deserve to know our beer's ingredients. They put an ingredients label right on their packaging. Chris Ryan, a passion of his. Yeah. He I likes lo- to know what's I need on. to know what's inside the What beer. are you putting in your body? He loves this. Bud Light, brewed with hops, barley, water, and rice. No corn syrup, no preservatives, no artificial flavors. Find out what ingredients are in your beer. Bud Light, enjoy responsibly. AB, Bud Light Beer, St. Louis, Missouri. Casting what ifs. Hawk was in a slump. Winona Ryder fought for him. I think it's in her contract, right? Yeah, put it in the contract. I'm not doing this movie unless Ethan Hawk. She saw him in a midnight clear and demanded that he played Troy. That's an amazing movie. People who auditioned for the role of Vicky, played by Janine Garofalo, and did not get it. Gwyneth Paltrow. Wow. Anne Hetch. Parker Posey. Oh, Parker Posey would have been That's an amazing Parker Posey Parker Posey is the only person that I feel like could have done that role as well or better. Yeah, she would have been good. Before filming began, Janine Garofalo was fired. Ben Stiller did not like her attitude. Didn't they work together on on his show? Yeah, Yeah. apparently she was off the rails, and then she was rehired because Winona Ryder stepped in on her behalf. Garofalo stated later, she has a really poor work ethic and hates to rehearse. That Garofalo does. Garofalo said that. Winona's like the LeBron here. She's like, sign up, Ethan. She really was. <laughs> Trade <laughs> yeah. for Garofalo. This was like Penny Hardaway when Orlando <laughs> made the finals that year. It was really crazy. The, uh, there wasn't a lot of internet research on this. I got to say, I, I, I have to say, now that we, I didn't know this was going to be a question, but as we're talking about it, I have to say one of the strengths of film and casting. I can't imagine somebody having the, the, the movie's totally different, it feels like, if any of the four principal people are changed. Yeah. I mean, it it really does seem like they have to be those people. I agree. Yeah. Uh, the Dean Waiters Award. What are we calling this now? That with the, Caruso? the Dino Waiters Award. The Dino Waiters Award. Based on David, David Caruso's Caruso. character in Proof of Life. I think Fetus will shut this down. The as soon Dino as Waiters back. Award. So I got John Mahoney as Grant from what Good is, Morning Grant. What does this mean? Like it the, means the, like okay. small. <laughs> <laughs> we should tell check the rules. Okay. The Dion Waiters Award means the person who does the most with the least amount of minutes. The, yeah. Comes off the bench. So, okay. And puts up okay. huge stats. Okay. Um, so, the so it has are, nothing to do with their confidence or the fact that they're a lunatic. It's just providing a lot in a small amount. Yes. Yeah. It's okay. like. Are you Not saying that Dion Waiters is unfound confidence <laughs> yeah, in lunacy? Dion Waiters, shot. Uh, John Mahoney. David Spade has one really good scene where he's like classic David Spade. Indy Dick, Gene Triplehorn, and Spade all have cameos. Yeah. I don't even oh, realize people I, don't realize it's, it's Gene Triplehorn. To me, I don't know who the actor is, but it is clearly the guy who plays the new husband of Winona Ryder's mom. Susie Kurtz's The guy husband. that says like, yeah. get a Ford. That guy yeah. is the funniest- <laughs> thing in the movie considering great, the the great, amount of the, the amount of time he's on screen I think I don't think there's any scene he's not funny that's pretty in. good I yeah. couldn't unless we want to give it to John Mahoney I, I couldn't come up with one anyway I'm happy to give it to that guy no I'm gonna, gonna go with that that's good I was gonna give him the uh, the Joey Pants award because I could I don't even know what that guy's name I is I didn't know that uh, until this most recent watching that Triple Horn's in this I had forgotten that yeah, as well that she plays it she has an yeah. uncredited role in this half ass internet research I guess before I did casting what ifs, did I make that clear? I did, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
half-assed internet research. Renee Zellweger in the beginning. Yeah. Nephew Kyle shouted that out. I've seen this movie 20 times. Somehow missed it every time. You can never- Ethan Hawke, the first girl he kisses in the beginning when he's leaving somebody's house, it's Renee Zellweger. And she, isn't she like in a fleeting moment in Days and Confused too? Yeah. yeah. Yes. She was yeah. around she was, for a while. And yeah. you know, and then she's in Empire Records. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. She had a bigger role in Empire Records. Yeah, but yeah. she's like around a lot in those yeah, she kind was. of slacker Gen X movies. She was, a, it seemed like she, she was on the same auditions with all these yeah. people. So the screenwriter, this has been uh, known, but Helen Childress, the screenwriter, was 19 when she wrote the script, freshman at USC. Hmm. Uh, for three years, wrote, rewrote the script, did 70 drafts, used her friends' personalities and experiences. That's the basis of the film. Quentin Tarantino was supposed to use My Sharona in Pulp Fiction, and when he went to obtain the rights, found out that Reality Bites had jumped in, which leads to the question, I wonder what scene they were going to use My Sharona uh, the Dick Dale song, I bet. Wait, in Pulp Fiction? In Pulp Fiction. I, it's really out of place in that movie. Yeah, no, I, mean, I couldn't not, figure it out Not either. out of place because of the song itself, but songs from that period. Are there any other songs in Pulp Fiction from that period? From 77 to No, 81? it would be it's more not. appropriate for Reservoir Dogs. Absolutely. For the soft yeah. rock stuff. I didn't Dogs. understand it either. Yeah. All right, here we go. The, uh, the Frampton song. When they discussed the big gulp. By the way, that was a bad song. That I mean, bad scene. That should have been in What's Age the Worst, that whole date. It's a, it's intentionally awkward, but it's actually like too awkward. Well, it's good though when he's sort of like, I know why the cage bird sings. And she's like, why? And he's like, ah. <laughs> like he doesn't know. Because that's that's part of what makes his character sympathetic. And that's a, a, this is something I think maybe he brought because he wanted to be liked in a way is that his character, despite being the person who should know the most is not a know-it-all. He's just sort of like, I'm faking my way through this. It's like, you know, he's I'm, a you know, planet of the apes door. Yes. And then this I'm, TV exec I'm sort job. of embarrassed that I'm not cool. I'm real embarrassed because he's like, I crossed some lot coolness line in the sand yeah. or whatever. It's like, that's a, yeah, that you good. know, uh, uh, the son that was supposed to be playing Beth by kiss. Oh, huh. I didn't know that. Does that change your feeling on the scene? Probably. Well, it f- would fulfill the same role, I guess. It would fulfill the same role in the sense that people would know what the, the meaning of that song is, even if they had no relationship to Kiss. But uh, Stiller could not secure the rights to the song. And what's weird is two years later, Beautiful Girls got the rights to the song. So I don't know. Maybe they just like Beautiful Girls, the uh, the Gene Simmons. and Yeah. <laughs> that I probably won't be a rewatch. Gene and Ace. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Beautiful Girls? Hasn't that movie aged poorly? Well, I think that would be one of the reasons it would be a great rewatchables. <laughs> yeah. uh, well, you know, that was a, it, it, at the, around the time, <laughs> this is just sort of extra information, around the time Reality Bites was being made, that was around the time that Kiss was creating the Kiss Your Ass anthology compilation record where other artists were covering Kiss songs. Mm. And uh, I can imagine them thinking, well, why don't we get someone to cover Beth and have in this movie. And then they were like, we don't want that. So they were like, well, we're, we're withdrawing. <laughs> yeah, screw you. Yeah. In 2005, the real Troy Dyer, who was a film financer, sued the writer and everybody in the movie because uh, on the audio commentary tracks of the 10th anniversary DVD, she said she all the characters were based on her actual friends and roommates. And he had been friends with her at USC? And this guy knew her, and then all these people thought he was the real Troy Dyer, and the suit was quickly settled after he received a written document stating he was not the person. 
portrayed in the film. A real tried there. Tough beat for that guy. I guess so, but if you're already a film development guy, you could kind of probably dine out on being the real Troy Dyer That's for a while. Like, yeah, it's, like, also, it's not like you wound up being a homeless guy. It would be kind of ironic that that character became, what the fuck was he? What the fuck? A film producer? <laughs> yeah. Uh, a film finance, finance guy. Yeah, that, that doesn't seem like that character would then emerge. No, Troy is as definitely going to be cool English substitute teacher. If that's uh, like his ceiling. <laughs> how co- how confused do you think Chuck will be with Apex Mountain? I mean, it's really, a, it's in the eye of the beholder. So I don't, okay. th- I, I think it's okay. Apex Mountain. So it's the tallest mountain in a range of mountains. No. So it's like. No. Apex Mountain a- is, was this movie <laughs> the apex of this person's career? Okay. So w- why is it Apex Mountain? Why isn't it Apex? It's because it's, it's a mountain. mountain. You climb an Apex Mountain? Because it's like, they are on the mountain. The tallest mountain. Chuck has clearly the, never okay. heard the rewatch. <laughs> <laughs> the audience has turned on Chuck. <laughs> this will be your favorite podcast. You know what? Here's the thing. We'll start, start with proof of life. Yeah. <laughs> listen to Heat. You never listen to me and Chris do Heat? We should have sent that to the Peabody Awards. I yeah, let's up with that. I feel like we've been under- we'll send proof of life no, to the Peabody Awards. No, we don't Awards. want to sell out. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you see that? You, you should not do that, you know? Yeah. Uh, we don't yeah. need big Peabody recognizing yeah. our podcast. <laughs> Apex Mountain, Winona Ryder. I say yes. I think this is the apex. Yeah. Check. She's great in Heathers. And and in some ways, Heathers is a more significant, well, in many ways, in every way, maybe. It's a more significant film. It kind of goes- I, I prefer, I mean- She's aged a bit though, so she's this really is the prime. Like she she was real young in Heather's, I guess. Um that was I guess it's a tough one. I go mm-hmm. with uh I go with singles. I mean it's also it, it is the apex of Ethan Hawk though. I, and I love his career. I love him as What's an actor. I he's been no. good. He's no. been good in many movies. No, I got training day. I'm telling <laughs> you. <laughs> really? Interesting because it changes. For an Oscar. Yeah. Because he goes from he's making all these movies and his career is one thing. And then when he makes Training Day, it's like, and with the podcast I did with him, he talked about this. He's like, he does Training Day and all of a sudden he can make any career opportunity he wants. He has. When he dies in the Oscar montage, it's a shot from Reality Bites. It is not any other film. So because you think that that's is the qualification for Apex Mountain? Yes. It's the thing that when but everything that's what else— what would you be remembered for? Well, We're talking about at this point in his career, has he ever been more powerful, more popular, more But I would more go with— powerful? I would go with like well, a, might be like more like they can make any decision they want, right? <laughs> oh, I don't— Yeah, I don't— Oh, I thought it was—so it's not—it's not the defining performance. No. No. It's not the apex of his career. It's Apex Mountain. Oh, well, he, I guess his apex is now. No. Does he have more leverage now than he no. ever has before? I mean, you can I talk think that before financially sunrise. he's probably in the best position because he made The Purge. And I think like the people who are in those, like especially earlier Blumhouse movies, like that's a pure profit thing for him. But I don't know that for a fact. I just think that that's like a very good case okay. of that. But Training Day, he's an Oscar nominee. He's married to uh, He's the Uma second Thurman. fiddle in that though, man. He's second fiddle in this movie. Okay. When I, this is okay. Winona Ryder's movie. When I still lived in Brooklyn, I lived in the same neighborhood as Ethan Hawke. And there was an Italian restaurant near us where you could buy homemade pizza or homemade pasta. Like they would make the pasta during the day and you could buy a bag of it. So I would do this all the time. I would go in there in the afternoon when it was, you know, empty. I go in there one day and it's just Ethan Hawke and this guy who's obviously some kind of, you don't know if he's a playwright or a screenwriter. They're the only two people in there. And they're having a very intense conversation that the writer playwright guy has these pages like scripts in front of him and he's talking to Ethan Hawke and I kind of I'm trying to listen but I can't really listen and I also don't want to be a jerk so I'm just kind of standing there and 
all of a sudden, the conversation ends, and Ethan Hawke says to this guy, the thing is, I don't really know who this character is. Is he Nick Cave? Is he Jeff Tweedy? Who is he? And he walks out. So obviously this was With the guy or just leaves the guy in the pasta place? Well, then the guy puts his stuff together in a bag and he leaves. Like, they leave Amicably. Okay. But I do want wonder, like, what kind of play about a musician could lead someone to wonder if they're Nick Cage- Nick Cave or Jeff, or Jeff Tweedy. Tweedy, you know? That's a good question. It was. Or I, did I, that I, movie I, even ever get made? I don't think it, I feel like, I don't know why I think this. I have no proof of any of this. I feel like it was a play. I feel like they, the, the way the writer looked and, you know, this was, this was some years back before, like Ethan Hawke's in a lot of movies now, I feel like. Yeah. It seems like, it was like he was le- doing, like I'd seen him in a play. He was really good in a play, like off Broadway or whatever. But uh, I think this someone, story was Ethan Hawke's Apex Mountain. This, this yeah. pasta story. I'm <laughs> yeah, going to, I'm going to grant you in train day. I, I was, yeah. I'm pulling for this, this and before. I just think he's a bigger star after he's. For Apex that's, Mountain, that's, let's allow it. Yeah. Plus he said that on my podcast. Okay. He yeah. said after training so day. So Winona, yes. Ethan Hawke, no. Garofalo. Uh, I'd say no. No. I think there's got to be some Larry Sanders. Who knows? Uh, Steve Zahn, no. You too. (laughs) Jesus Christ. What? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, That's like, because when they're playing in Rattling Home, the movie about them, they're like, we just want to say thank you to Ben Stiller. This is for putting our music in a cinematic movie. It's a counterculture. <laughs> hey, that's my bike. <laughs> that's my bike, Mister President. Uh, the Le- jo- this the- was definitely Lisa Loeb's apex. Yeah, there's no question. Oh, that's a good one. Yeah. I had heard of that. That's a great one. What about the super big gulp? I mean, kind not, of a kind of a force in the script. Kind okay. of a force. I okay. feel like nobody. Did anybody ever think big gulps were so great that they were a metaphor? No, you would for just anything. drink them because I know. A but ton like, of soda. like, but even to jokingly use no, as a I metaphor. Don't think so. yeah, yeah. The Joey mm-hmm. Pants Award for the that guy or that girl in the movie. Joey right. Pants. Now what? It's what, Mahoney. Joe Pantaleone. It just means oh, when you see a guy, you're like, oh, no, that John guy. Mahoney's oh. John Mahoney. Okay. Yeah. I think it's Susie Kurtz's husband because I don't know what that guy's name is. Well, there's also Joe Don Baker. Is also he's Joe Don Baker though, isn't he? I mean, do you I, think he's that? But guy? isn't Joe Pantoliano? We're having a real crisis of confidence here. I don't know no, what's going on. Pa- Pantoliano is Pantoliano. I mean, he became Pantoliano, but there were years <laughs> and years where nobody knew what his name was. That's why it's a Joey Pantsel word. Chuck's really uprooted our whole podcast. We need fantasy back. <laughs> so, the Saul Rubinek they knew award. <laughs> you want to explain that one to Chuck? So in True Romance, when Saul Rubinek turns to Bronson Pinchot uh-huh. uh, and we find out he's betrayed him and he's just like. I treated you like a son, and you stabbed me in the heart. <laughs> That's overacting. This is what the award is for. <laughs> so it's best overactor. I actually couldn't find an overactor in this movie. Uh, I actually thought they nobody really dialed it up. Unless you want to go with John Mahoney, I would. I would, I would say it. that the only person you could say Stiller and Hawk are at various points really going for it. Stiller and yeah. the you gave her something that had it. What does he yeah. say? Yeah. Yeah. Come on, let's go. You don't need this. You don't know what she needs. I think I know what she needs in a way that you never will. He kind of, I mean, I, I, let's give him that. Yeah. Picking nits is where we pick some nits in the movie. Okay. Yeah, we're like, hey, what's up? What happened? I could have got that from context. <laughs> How do you? Uh... Well, you didn't understand the <laughs> yeah, Dion geez, Waiters Apex Award, <laughs> aka the Dino Waiters Award, based on David Caruso. I'm so hurt that he never has listened to hey, the Rewatch most. No, that's like the most. No, that's not true. Because before I came on here, I was listening to the Days and Confused one. Okay. Yeah. 
<laughs> Picky nits. How did you win the good times game? They're all sitting around, and it seems like they'd been playing it for hours. So I think you, it was you're like just shouting out no, good times. Episodes? It was like AD and D. You all won, or you all lost. I don't think that there was any. How do you I, drink to it, though? I really want to know more about how you play it. Um, well, it could be a little bit like playing you chug. You know, it's like, but I don't know. Uh, uh, I I I think it was just it's like kind of a stonery thing to do to remember stuff. It felt like yeah. something that I would have played, but I just want to know how you win. Mm-hmm. Um, how do you think they paid rent? Do you think Steve Zahn was like secretly pulling down like nine hundred a week? So, but Steve Zahn doesn't live with them. Oh yeah, you're right. He just he lives with his in. parents. So it's it's Laney and Janine but Janine Garofalo, Garofalo when she's like, we're paying bills. Yeah. Steve Zahn is just helping her pay bills. Yeah. He's not paying bills for them. I thought he lived there. I thought he lived there. And I guess he's not sleeps on the couch. It's deceptive because after he tells his mom he's gay and he's sitting outside, he goes, I just want to get back into the house, which I guess I unconsciously read as meaning that's where he lives, but I guess it doesn't yeah. necessarily say He doesn't that. live there. Uh, he does he not. Well, Nona Reiner's like, you don't even live here. Yeah. He doesn't. Yeah. Oh, there. that's right. Oh, yeah, That's right. right. That's a key theory. So go. I'm, try, I'm trying to like guess what Houston rent would have been like. Well, okay. So, so it had to be cheap. She goes up. I think nice like house. Six a month. Yeah. Five a month. Um, I mean, it could be pretty cheap depending on where, you know, it's like if you're not close to anything great, it's. But they're still know. like, you're about, we're going to get the phone service turned off if this yeah. happens. You know, like they're pretty concerned about that. Do stuff. you have any nitpicks? Well, I mean, I just wonder, are we going to talk about what happens the day after this movie ends with their relationship? Yeah, we're, mm-hmm. we're getting to it. Uh, best quote. I personally love if I could bottle the sexual tension between Bonnie Franklin and Snyder, I could solve the energy <laughs> crisis. Just so great. R.I.P. Bonnie Franklin, too. It, they show the scene and they look like they're going to go at it. This is a conversation I had in college a million times. Uh, I'm not under any orders to make the world a better place. See, that is a, that's a line, too, where when I was watching it, I was like, it seems as though to a person who is that age now— that would be shocking that somebody would express that idea. Mm. That that is that's that's real antithetical to sort of how you're supposed to look at the world. Um, Sex is the quickest way to ruin a friendship. This is all we need. You and me and five bucks. He's weird. He's strange. He's sloppy. He's a total nightmare for women. I can't believe I haven't slept with him yet. And then I just don't understand why things can't go back to normal at the end of the half hour, like on the Brady Bunch or something. Well, because Mr. Brady died of AIDS. Things don't turn out like that. It's a harsh line, but it's actually kind of. Perfect for the 1994. Well, it fits his character too. It's just like, who else would say that? I uh, I like Bonnie Franklin and Schneider. I don't know if you have a quote that you like more than that. I like you look like a doily. <laughs> you think? <laughs> That was a good word. Well, okay. Well, okay. I thought this to me, I thought it was, I was waiting for you to mention this because I thought this was, I would have assumed this every, maybe this is the obvious answer, but to me, the, Best sort of exchange, the single best exchange in the movie is when she's like, they ask me what irony is. And he's like, it's when the actual meaning is the complete opposite from the literal meaning. And he says it in a way that's sort of like, my whole life is spent thinking about these things. And, you know, um, to, and and it also it's like it's a great example of like someone trying to sort of I want you to commiserate with me. And the guy's like, I'm not going to commiserate you because I'm uh, too smart. I'm reading this book or whatever. He's also um, heartbroken. Yes. Yeah. You know, and, and uh, so I, that uh, I, I if I if I somebody said, show me this movie in 20 seconds, that is the 20 seconds. I, I like that. Them. I like that one. It's yeah. a good one. Go with that one. Could this be remade as a 10 episode Netflix show? I'm going to add this caveat. It's set in 1994. Are you green lighting this? Now uh, we have some distance. It's, it's almost like dazed and confused style. It's 25 years later. And now it's 10 episodes. 
of these characters living in a house in Houston in 1990. You know what I what I'm curious about is if you made a 10-hour version of this, who comes out better, Troy or Michael? Like spending more time with who, depending on, you spend more time with one of these characters, who do you wind up Michael, liking? Michael probably wins if the more time we spend with him would be my guess. Because Troy, Troy is like about 90 minutes is enough with Troy. It would be tough because sort of the ethos of their life is we don't do anything. Yeah. Yeah. We just sit around and don't do anything. I mean, it's like our, our life is built around sort of having a passive relationship with the idea of the world, that the world is, you know, it's, 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 their people are not in this movie. Like I have a problem with the world. It's like, I have my own problems. My problem is my life. And I've retreated from the world into my couch. And and I'm not interested in what's happening in the world. And in fact, by you attempting to make my show into something that's on MTV, you're almost forcing me to say, I am part of this reality. And that is, I guess, supposed to be part of the reason that she finds you so distasteful. I forgot what stage is the worst. I forgot psychic hotlines. (laughs) <laughs> it's hard, hard one to explain to Craig's generation. See, for what age the worst is you should do the movie Singles. Singles is almost like someone, it looks like now, like someone has made a sketch about technology we no longer use. A guy has a watch that he can get 10 phone numbers in. <laughs> Much of the movie is based around <laughs> using a- Isn't that Stoltz? Yeah. Uh, no, uh, that's, yeah. that, that's Jim guy, True. Yeah, oh, friend. that's Jim yeah. True. That's right. Much of the movie- the, of the story of the movie is based around making calls from pay phones to answering I want to be Mr. To, New to you. No, two answering machines that were the tape breaks. Yeah. It's like any kind of technology they could come up with. And dating no services. Longer, and yeah, yeah. On video cassette. Da- it, video you dating. couldn't have made a caricature as much as it, that would have worked out to be. Yeah. And also, I don't think the Xavier McDaniel reference really like would make, <laughs> I, I think most people would be like, the fuck is this guy? Yeah, that's my favorite part of that movie. <laughs> Uh, probably an answer questions. Does Troy's band ever release an album? No. No. Split seven with somebody in town. If Chuck was in Houston, would he have hung out with Troy? 1994 Chuck. I, I would have. You would have? Yeah. I, 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 in 1997, I hung out with Troy in Boston. Because you would have worked at the record store he went to. Yeah, and I worked at a nightclub that he I, probably would have tried to play. Yeah, and I, I probably would have been like... Interning at the Houston Chronicle. <laughs> I, I probably not. Probably. I have not. a confession. Or we would have been very close friends, and we would have had a very adversarial relationship. <laughs> but we would have hung around a lot and had a lot of fights. I I waited till the end of the podcast to tell you guys this. I hated people like Troy. Did you? In, yeah. So These were like, did you know guys like Troy at Holy Cross or just like the guy who was like the English major in college who just well, all he was doing was shitting on everybody else, but he wasn't doing anything himself. And I never had time for those guys. So would you come across them at bars in Boston? Like where no, did not you that like much. No, not that much? No, but like a little bit, right? I just it was that whole English major thing to me. Okay, they, like just overanalyzing everything and just being pissy about everything. I don't know. Was there yeah, my I mean, type? The thing is, I never really liked the, the steady cigarette smokers too. The, you didn't? No, just, <laughs> no, I didn't smoke in, until like 94 I started dabbling. But wait a second. I, so you, you didn't smoke ever? Not until after college. How much did you ever smoke? At, what, like, what was it like your peak smoke, cigarette smoking? I would say like maybe like 12 a day. Yeah. I smoke. I mean, that's actually when you, when you do the math, that's actually mm-hmm. probably what they're doing. So that leads I, me to my next. No, this is the last question. thing I will just say on this. But this is the kind of I'm embarrassed to admit this, but it's true. I would have thought I was like Troy, and actually I was like Ben Stiller. <laughs> 
I know. I just know that about myself. It's like because I would have when I, you know I. I would like when I watch the movie, that's the character who I aligned with. But in practice, I would not have been that way because I wasn't cool. I was, I was like the fake version of cool, which is what that, well, like, you know, her whole speech to him about like, if you're going to be this person, try at being this person, don't just like let life happen to you, is like a very accurate thing because there were people of that time period who were like, I will not take a fucking cent from big companies. Mm-hmm. I'm going to do this by myself. It's DIY. And then those people were like Fugazi. Mm-hmm. Those people were like, we're just going to like take our art and our way of doing things on the road. And we're going to work as hard at this as anybody works at but anything else. But those were also the people who never paid for anything. But what do you mean? Like well, when you were out with them, you always ended up having to buy. Well, they wouldn't the drink anyway because they were straight edge. So they were just like, no, thanks for me, sir. I'm going to go to well, a vegetarian okay. Chinese restaurant. So, <laughs> this is, uh, when you were working, when we were in New York and you were working at Kim's Underground. Yeah. Was there any part of you that was like, this actually is a more authentic, real, meaningful thing to do? And never, and, or were you always trying uh-huh. to get a job that would get you out of there? No, I wasn't always trying to get a job that would get me out of there because I was like, I think I was inhibited slash not as ambitious as probably I should have been. But there's there's no like dignity in like, I loved working at Kim's in a lot of ways, but there's like, you're never under any illusions that what you're doing is like the real cool thing. Like it seems cool, but it's basically degrading. But but were you cooler than the people who were trying to make it? Because I guess in a lot of ways you, that was turning into Dr. Melfi's office. Well, no, (laughs) it it was, it was, it was interesting. It would be sort of like there was uh, like, who really knows what's going on in music? Is it the person covering music for a magazine or is it the person who's works the record store that Ryan Adams comes into and like wants to start a freak country band with? Yeah, I mean— So it did—like, so was there part of you that was like, actually, I'm closer to this than all you guys? Who yeah, but are. I think I knew yeah. that I had a mental block and how to do some of the stuff. Like, I, I just like never knew how to write a profile. You know what I mean? Like, I never knew how to like take a step towards like getting out of that. I was like, it's either going to happen or it's not going to happen based on like the things that I do know how to do. Because the application to this movie, then the question is how much of Troy's life is his choice and how much is that's the position that he's just going to be. But because, you're missing the one key part with Troy and the reason I didn't like him or, or people like that is he was a fucking asshole. He thought he was better than everybody. I like people that were like 80% of Troy, but were also like, I, like I'm that a, would sell other people. Right. Like you still have to, it's like basketball. You still have to like pass the ball and sell other people every once in a while. And Troy's attitude was yeah, like, yeah, if you, you said, to, hey, Troy, suck. you want to go watch Clyde Drexler tonight? Yeah. He'd be like, I'm not trying to watch that bullshit. Yeah. Like, like gladiators. <laughs> like, like, why do you watch sports? Yeah. Oh, you're participating. Yeah. Like, I, was ne- just, I was never like that. I, had, I don't, I never have liked guys like that. At the same time, there are pieces of Troy. Like Troy's the guy that, you know, especially when I was like working in restaurants and bars, like you needed the Troy at four in the morning. Cause he was the guy that you'd hang out with. Yeah. Smoke pot with, and he'd have cigarettes and those are valuable guys. Yeah. Absolutely. But um, next unanswerable question. So the kind of person you didn't like you used? <laughs> no. That seems real problematic, I wouldn't, use, I wouldn't use him if he was a fucking <laughs> asshole. No, but you were like, I yeah. fucking am so glad I, I, I that the, there's some yeah. like bunch of people out there who yeah. want to talk you about- You call the drug dealer. I'll wait here. <laughs> I'll wait here. You go call the guy and then get in his car. I don't really like getting in his car. No, it's kind of weird. No, so yeah. it's like, you get in his car <laughs> though and I'll be here. Again. Okay. <laughs> the best thing about Troy was he was on a sleep cycle that- 
yeah. matched mine for yes. about five years. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he's waking up at one o'clock in the afternoon, and he was up until mm-hmm. four. Uh, next unanswerable question: How did Winona Ryder always have the cigarette three fourths of the way down in every scene? Like, it, like there were two drags left. I don't know how they did that. I mean, she what I want to know is, sick. were they doing Mad Men cigarettes, which are like herbal? Or was she or actually like smoking those? Or were they, all of them, them were just smoking all the time on every set really constantly? Them. I think she she and Hawk were definitely. I have no idea. I guess I've never thought of that till oh, now. She, yeah. When Kyle said when we were watching, when they start making out of there, it's like, oh, that is a cigarette kiss. <laughs> <laughs> Nicotine just pouring out of their <laughs> thugs. Uh, how long did they stay together? Less than a year. Did they ever live together by they themselves? Do. They do. They do. They move in together at the end of the movie. Oh, with the boxes? Yeah. That's is them that moving that in together. Anyway? I feel oh, like definitely. Steve Zahn yeah. was in there. No, 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 no. He's helping them move again. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, they they are living together and he is going to try and go straight and he is too young and he's too fucked up and he's going to screw it up. Hmm. I don't know. I guess when you're that age... It's always better to take the under, right? If we're guessing, like in all likelihood, most people who date when they're 23 don't get married. I guess because it's a movie, my assumption is they stayed together. Just like I imagine them staying together, but that's based on nothing. Like, you know, I just, that's how I thought of it. Because, uh, you know, uh, so she makes the choice and that's the choice she makes. I think um, they, I think they're done in a year and then they run into each other. 15 years later at Steve Zahn's wedding. So, okay. So and you, it's and, really and awkward. It's back on again? Oh, no, it's awkward. It's super awkward. And he's not smoking anymore because he had a polyp on his tongue. Do you <laughs> to, to... <laughs> <laughs> And he's got short hair. Do you in any way miss that period of life? The life where your life is very dramatic. You're constantly in and out of meaningful relationships. You're falling in love with friends. And you're saying your, 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 your friends are so close to you that they go, you know, you go through that period where your family, you kind of move, your friends become your family for a while. And then when you get older, it kind of goes back the other way. But like, like, do you in any way miss that part of life? I miss the- Well, I'm older I, now, so I miss all parts of life. Yeah. I mean, I miss, I, I sincerely <laughs> do miss smoking like that. Like, really. Uh, uh, and I miss everything in my life pretty much being oriented around hanging out. Yeah, and I think that's so the like, thing. So, like, everything is, like, after I get done paying for, like, the bare essentials, all my friends and I are going to talk about is what are we doing tonight? Hanging out. And and even if we're staying in and what are we doing? Like, it was you, just, like, a constant, constant socializing. Don't you worry that in 2019... I mean, I don't know this for a fact, but I do think the internet has to cut into the hangout time a little bit because part of the fun about all this stuff was like, you didn't have money to go out really one night hard, so you just stay in, oh, watch I- a movie, and you'd play the fucking good times game or you'd look for these ways to kill five hours together with your buddies. And that was like Saturday night. And now I, I, I don't know, the internet, it connects people, but at the same time, I don't know if it connects. I think people. I, I think it's just a real like you're right I at the point like where you start out. to have a little bit of your own money, but you're like you have absolutely no ambition other than to like see your friends as much as possible. But how much? How much would these characters have been on the internet if you just took the premise of this movie? It's to al- now? it's almost inconceivable to like to like Winona Ryder the the nine eleven the not nine eleven uh what was the psychic hotline yeah mm. now she's just on the internet right and Troy's doing Tinder. <laughs> and well, and Ben Stiller's character probably works in the internet, right? So it's like I, uh, you know, he probably works in some kind of internet capacity. Um, 
that's so odd because it's since like oh also were they raised with the internet because then we have to assume they're completely different people yeah this way yeah i just think my brain <laughs> my brain broke um do you, do you do that with every movie? It's like The Godfather. What if they had no, the internet? No, no, yeah. <laughs> it's like, you know, it's like Somebody texts Sonny and says, don't do this. Yeah. <laughs> it would be like, because they were right behind him. They could have yeah. been just texting Sonny, no, like, Sonny, yeah. stop. <laughs> no, but I do think, like, I just made me wonder, what is it, what would this movie be for 2019? Somebody should make it. I'd like to watch it. Well, because if someone's, you know, I mean, here again, like I said before, what I think is cool about this is they were trying to make a movie about 1994 in essentially 1994. So yeah. if somebody is making a movie about 2019 in 2019, I don't think any of the issues that they deal with would be placed in this film. It's also hard because you just Even feel the like politics plays such an outsized role in people's lives now that to make a movie about 2018 or 2019 right now and then 2020, it's just going to be like, well, that's just completely different. Who won the movie? I'm going to say Ryder. Wins the movie now. Does this mean, okay, you got to give me a little I think when it, to me, it's when you think of this movie, it's the first face that jumps in. Who wins the movie? Ethan Hawke. He won the movie. Yes, because not only did he win the movie from a performance standpoint, he wins in the end. He literally wins in this, I suppose, maybe possibly problematic thing, the prize of Winona Ryder, the girl that they are both pursuing, yeah. which he pursues by doing not a goddamn thing. Right. You know, it's sort of like, that's the Except ultimate showing way. up in a brown suit. Yeah, he yes. came back from his. Yes. He's, My dad died. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm wearing a tie. Uh, <laughs> you know, and, uh, I was thinking about stuff and, uh, yeah. and she's yeah. going to find him. Yeah, she's about ready to leave, yeah. you know. Uh, you know, I meant to ask you this. There is this weird stretch of movies where, when friends would sleep together and the guy would run out the next morning, it seems like it's, it's a recurring oh, unable plot. to deal with it. You know, yeah. it's really, I, it's like, if we start this, we're going to get off on a tangent. No, Maybe it's really interesting to look at the end of this movie and the end of kicking and screaming. Just in, in terms of like, in terms of like, she's running off to go see him. It almost would have been more fitting if like they missed each other. Like he's coming back as she's leaving, but kicking uh, and screaming has such like a powerful ending precisely because the great romantic gesture is just ultimately futile. That's why it's a super, it's a superior movie. movie. But yeah, I have the tie breaking vote. I think Ryder won the movie because Ethan Hawke was able to basically before sunrise play a variation of the, a much more likable version of somebody who's in the sphere of this character and kind of own that movie. But this was it for Winona Ryder. It's not very often that you see people I don't know, is this true that you see people basically do ver- variations on a theme like this as characters? Like Jesse and Troy are circling the same. Jesse's a he's a he's a likable Troy. Yeah, yeah. So it just seems. And to I feel me, like that's though, a better like, movie for him than this. So like Ethan Hawke completely encapsulates a certain kind of person that existed in the real world, and if the best film depiction of it is his, I don't think Winona Ryder does that. We know the writer is that person in reality in 1994, but her character is not. Her character is a That's person. That's a pretty compelling argument. I'm is, on the fence now. She is a person less interesting than who she actually is in reality. Oh, man. In that film. No, you're right. You know, and I think that, and, and when Nota writers, like, you know, the, the idea of who she was, like her life won the period. Well, wait a second. <laughs> like her, I, her life won the mid 90s. Can I add one but more she thing? She won though? the movie. Okay. She single-handedly cast Ethan Hawke. 
she saved Janine Garofalo's job on the on the movie, and then she single handedly made the movie happen. I think that goes. And she a, smoked the most cigarettes of anyone and, in a movie and, ever. <laughs> <laughs> and she had to like go in a cigarette detox after. I'm still sticking with Bunona. What do you think, Craig? I kind of like the Hawk argument. I'm going to be honest. Oh, man. And, and Fucking did, Chuck. But did We're this, never inviting did him back. Did this movie damage Ethan Hawke's career for a short time? No. In fact, at the end of this, I want to play out, uh, because we talked about reality he, bites he for- made, like, He made the Newton boys and stuff like that, but I feel like there was a period where it was hard to see him and not think of that guy. Like It seemed for a while he was going to be typecast. To his credit, I think his talent has completely- Didn't Gattaca flip that? You it was know, like that, 97? That was, you know, that was a real good movie. That was 90. But it wasn't successful, was it? It wasn't. But it was, it was a different kind of person. It was person. respected in a way that, you know, in a kind of yeah. extravagant well, it's, way. It's a that, real good movie. I mean, it's a, for th- that kind of science fiction movie, that, I think that's a— Pussy Man yeah. Uma Thurman. Yeah. Um, we're going to play at the tail end of this Ethan Hawke talking about Reality Bites on my podcast because he had recently watched it and had a lot of thoughts. So we're going to put that on, even if you've already heard it, as a little little bonus. Chuck, I don't feel like this was your Apex Mountain. I feel like the next one's going to be, though. Oh, you, well, well, now that you know all the categories. What was wrong with my performance? No, it's, you yeah. were great. Okay, uh, Chris Ryan, um, it got a little deep there for a second. I'm glad you fought it off. <laughs> Chuck started leaning in. I, I was, Craig and I were just going to leave as well, soon as I, you had a therapy you session. Know, okay, this the last thing I'll say about this. Part of the reason I like this movie is because it makes it reminds me of something about myself, which is that nothing is more interesting to me than the psychology of my friends. And if I could, there's nothing in life that interests me more than the people I'm friends with. And it's the same for these characters. Their entire life is built around their relationships with each other. And I think that is why it, it, it reminds me of something that I've felt my whole life. Yeah. Mm. But you're right. Kicking and Screaming is a better movie. Bill just needs them for cigarettes. <laughs> We're doing Kicking and Screaming at some point. By the way, I've been to Prague. <laughs> uh, we'll be back in the Reactables next week. Reality Bites, 1994. Yep. So all of a sudden, you're playing the guy that I hated in college. Uh, who was that? Tell me about the guy you well, hated Well, just college. the guy with long hair who was the English major who thought he was smarter thought than was everybody. Who knew how to define irony. He didn't know. Yeah, yeah he didn't He didn't watch sports. He didn't yeah, have any right. opinions on what was going on with the Red Sox. Yeah, but, right. but somehow, the girl that I liked, like this guy. You don't think that a little bit of your anger might have resided in the fact that he was simply shining a light on you, wasting a lot of your time. Watching sports? Yeah. Yeah, yeah he might have been. <laughs> but the cool thing about that movie was there was this whole era that just wasn't being captured. It was like, you graduate, what do you do? What do you do? Mm-hmm. Where am I going to get a job? And that was- oh, I thought I was this hot shit in college. Now it happens. And it's like, yeah, you're going to go work at and the 7-Eleven. really particularly... Um, felt um, for Generation X, whatever that, for our generation, we were a a large group of people whose parents had gone to college and we were expected to go to college. It wasn't some giant victory to have gone to, whereas like my parents, like, oh, they went to college. That was really good. And now we're supposed to go to college. And now what are we going to do with ourselves? And so going to college didn't just get you a good job like it had used to. That was what was unique to our generation. So you had a whole, you know, had a decade of these of all of us in our 20s, you know, Slacker, that Blinkletter film was about the same thing. It's just people hanging out, wondering what the hell to do with themselves. And Clerks was a little like that too. Yeah, Although mm-hmm. those guys, I don't yep. know what the upside for kicking those guys Kicking and screaming are. too. Yeah, mm-hmm. kicking and screaming. 
That was the I always identify with Grover because he was this writer who wanted to write but I had yeah. no idea. But it was How funny. Troy, it. Troy Holler pissed a lot of people off. He really did. He really pissed a lot. He's of a people great off. character. It was a great character. What was funny about it for me is, for a long time, a couple of years after that, people thought I was Troy Holler. Like you know, and I kept. I thought that. Yeah, but I, you know, it was. I, but I was, that means you did a good job. Yeah, I felt proud of myself about it because it was it was a specific kind of character, and it was the first. Really what it was, it was, I had really found a character with Todd Anderson and Dead Poets Society, and I'd really struggled to create another character. Yeah. And Reality Bites, it happened. I found a new voice, a new energy, and, it, and once you can unlock that in yourself, like I have this theory, you know, like I think a lot of people can write one good song or a lot of people could maybe even write a good novel, one, yeah. you know, and a lot of people could be good in one movie. And being a professional actor is figuring out how to let this stuff flow through you and really be different people again and again and again. And that's, it's a different thing. It's, it's. Well, it, I also think it helped that those two characters were so different. Well, it was good for me. I mean, it was literally like night and day. Yeah. Todd and, and, uh, and, and Troy. And Troy, you know, <laughs> hey, who stole my bike? Or, hey, that's my bike. That was the name of my band. Okay. Um, well, that's, but, so just when you're not, you know, like, ah, maybe this Troy is all right. And then, he sings the the violent femme song yeah. in the bar you know and just destroys really, Winona Ryder. You know what, what what really pisses people off about that character is he's such a self-centered jerk and he's and he still gets the girl in the end. And I think that's a drove so many guys nuts. Well, in real life, she tells you to fuck off and then yeah, you just exactly. have to reevaluate. In real life, life she goes they, for the rich Ben Stiller character. Yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah. for sure. Uh, yeah. Um, but you know. Well, when that came out, did you feel like a shadow from singles? Or did you feel like it was your own area? Because singles beat it by, I think, a year. But, you know, if I'm allowed to say now, Please. I hope people don't mind. Singles isn't a great film. And, you know, I like this. It's really not. Because I always considered myself more of a singles guy, but now I'm gra- gravitating. Yeah, if you really think about the, if you think about the writing of, I mean, this, I'm a student of this stuff, so I, yeah. I, I'm obviously the wrong person to judge. I, I mean, I love singles too. And, but singles was trying to cop on to this grunge movement, this thing that was happening in Seattle. Yeah. And what was really cool about Helen Childress' script in Reality Bites is it was really funny. Yeah. I mean, it's really funny and the characters are really vivid. And it's really, you know, Steve Zahn is playing this, you know, gay character and Jereen Garofalo is hysterically funny and, and here you have this female protagonist that Winona is playing that um, is a filmmaker and self-possessed and making her own finding her own voice as an artist and, and you have Ben Stiller who I think is a world-class director I mean he he makes strange movies yeah. his movies are original and this is his first film and it's very watchable. I mean, I'm my worst critic. Believe me, I, I, I spent years uh, rolling my eyes when people talked about Reality Bites. But I was at a wedding about seven years ago, and I couldn't sleep at night because I had to get away from the wedding. And you're in a Ramada yeah. Inn in North Carolina <laughs> right. or something. And I, and I laid down, and I flipped on the TV, and Reality Bites came on. And I watched it, and I thought, you know what? This is a really interesting film, and it really holds up. I think what's cool is it it really belongs to an actual era in a really significant way that when you think about the era, you think about you think you think about some albums, you think about some mm-hmm. whatever TV show is going on, and mm-hmm. then a few movies. 
And that's one of the movies. And singles, I agree with you. And I think Cameron Crowe agrees. Like I he could he never too. figure out how to put the movie together. It doesn't quite. It has good pieces. It has in good it. pieces, and it's a good idea, and I like it, and everything. But, but it lacks um, what Winona is amazing in reality. It's a great central Winona's performance, great. and and it was, it was iconic. She found, I mean, you know, even when it starts out, that Talking Heads song, "We're on a road yeah. to nowhere," um, like. It 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 jettisons you into that moment in America. Yeah, I think. Here I am. I can't believe I'm selling that movie. Well, I don't care. It's great. People can think whatever they want. No, it's a good movie. 